0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's a little too tall. We'll get there. So, before we begin, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ah, oh, Lord God, Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. Lord, you are the Creator of everything. You are our creator, you are our Lord, and Lord, as we just sang, how grateful are we that you walk with us. How grateful are we that you talk with us. And Lord, that's because we are one with you. And Lord, as we yearn and long to hear from you, Lord, be with us. Open our hearts to receive from you today, Lord, and we give this all to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. So last week, if you were here, um, we've already even talked about, we took a little break through our study on the book of Hebrews, and we did that to talk about Christian unity, what it means to be walking together, what it means to be walking in the Spirit, what it means to be walking with Christ. And we talked about what it truly means. We talked about that we are united under Christ. We talked about that we are united in Christ. We're not united in a church. We're not united in a denomination. We're not united under a pastor. We are united and are in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, through faith in him. You know, unity in Christ, whether it be individually, because it does begin individually, or as a faith family, is what really lies at the desire that Christ has for us. I know Pastor Ken told you to go ahead and open up to Hebrews, and we will get there because um, we are going to be picking that back up. But for now, I want you to go ahead and turn back in your Bible to the Gospel according to John, chapter 17. And the verses that I'm about to read for, to you from God's Word are the words of Jesus, chapter 17. And given that we just sang a song called, In the Garden, it seems rather appropriate to me that we should begin our time today in the garden. John 17, if you're familiar with your Bible, is our Lord's Prayer to the Father. It's his prayer on our behalf. And it's his prayer that he expresses his desire for us To be united together with the Father, just as he, Jesus, is united together with the Father as one. Follow along, I'm going to actually begin reading in uh, verse, uh, I'm sorry, yes, verse uh, 16, thank you. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through your word. And they may all be one. as you have loved me. So what do we learn about what Jesus wants for us in these verses? Well, to begin, Jesus wants us to be sanctified in the truth. And that truth is his truth. And we can be sanctified in that truth when his spirit is living in us and through us. You see, we're not sanctified by the things of this world. It says we are in the world so that the world may see Christ in us. And the world can only see Christ in us when we are united together in Christ. That is part of Jesus' prayer, that the world would know him through us and our love for those around us. See, we're not simply here just to tell people about Jesus. And we're not here to just tell them about the promise of eternal life one day with him in heaven. And we're not here to condemn them. We're not here to threaten them with damnation in hell No, we are called to show the world the love of Jesus Christ. And we show the world the love of Jesus Christ by how we first love God individually. And then in our families, then in our faith family, and then finally with everyone else. Friends, you cannot show people the love of God if you were not first and foremost, loving God individually. You cannot show people the love of God if you are not loving your family. You cannot show people the love of God if you are not loving your faith family. And you certainly cannot show people the love of God if you do not love people. You know, last week we talked about our need to come before our Lord and Savior in total submission to him. And Pastor Ken discussed the importance of us being united together as a faith family under the headship of Jesus Christ. Not under a church, not under a denomination, not under a pastor, under the headship of Jesus Christ. And he spoke of the danger and the futility of the body parts trying to act independently from the head. It just doesn't work. Pastor Ken spoke of the dangers to, a, to unity about allowing issues from the past to go unresolved. And there's also a danger to unity, a threat to our unity, when we get so focused on the future and what we envision for the future, that we are not seeking Christ's will for that future, moment by moment, right here, right now, as we seek to live out that will and to minister to those around us. Pastor Ken discussed the threats to unity and how they even impact our ability to take communion. Because we're called to come to that time of communion with a clean heart. 1 Corinthians 11 has the Apostle Paul speaking directly to this issue, and we talked about it last week, and we won't talk about it again. Because he writes to the church in Corinth telling them and us today, because it is a warning for us today, where he writes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim On himself. Those are hard words, but they are God's word. That we are to discern the things going on in us before we come and partake of the Lord's Supper. And as a faith family, we took some time last week to share the concerns of our hearts. And then we committed before God that we stand united together as a faith family under the headship of Jesus Christ. And with our commitment to unity together as a faith family, our commitment to stand under the headship of Jesus Christ, to allow him to lead us, let's get back into our study in the book of Hebrews. Now, if you've been with us, you know that over the past, I don't know, 15 weeks or so, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And this book from an unknown author was written to a little church, not very much unlike our own. This little Hebrew church needed to be reminded of a couple things, just as we need to be reminded of things They needed to be reminded of who they are following. And after they were reminded of who they are following, they get reminded of why they are following him. And that is what brings us here today, as we commit to follow him and to hear from him, not from me, not from Pastor Ken, but to hear from him. And before we dive into our next section on Hebrews, I just wanted to take a few moments and refresh everyone's memory of what we have been learning about so far. But it, So just go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to work all the way through to where we are today, even. Now, for those of us who've been around, you know, this will be a reminder Um, But for those who haven't been here, this is an opportunity for you to catch up on what we've been talking about and what we as a faith family have been walking through in our study through the book of Hebrews. But an opportunity for us to think back over the past several weeks and to remember with new appreciation our unity in Christ and the impact that what we have been learning so far has on that. In chapter one of Hebrews, we're told that God spoke throughout the entire Old Testament about the plan of salvation. Pastor Ken shared earlier about the Bible reading plan and how everything has been pointing to that. And I encourage you to get involved. You know, jump in Exodus 33 tomorrow. Just jump right in there. You know, and as you have time, go back and catch up. But we learn that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died so that we can be forgiven of our sin. Not only did Christ die, Christ rose from the grave and being superior to the angels is seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father. And all of this, everything that we have been reading, was planned out before the foundation of the world. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are united with him in his death on the cross. And praise be to God, we are also united with him in his resurrection, and his ascension, as we have been given new life. Galatians 2.20 tells us that we have been crucified with Christ. Yet, we no longer live. But Christ lives in us. The life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We have been united with Christ in his crucifixion. We have been united in his resurrection because of our faith in him. Chapter 2 of Hebrews tells us how God put everything under the control of. ...of Jesus Christ. We're reminded again that Jesus... ...took on the form of a man... ...and he was united with us... ...here on this world. And that Christ being the founder... ...and the author of salvation... ...was the perfect sacrifice... ...for our sin... ...through his suffering on the cross. In verse 11 of chapter 2 says... ...for he who sanctifies... ...and those who are sanctified... All have one source. We who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are united in that one source. And that source is God the Father, which ties us right back to where we started in John 17. That they may be one, just as you and I are one. That has been the prayer of, of Jesus before time began. Now the supremacy of Christ to Moses is the subject of chapter 3. And if you're in the reading plan, you know, we're dealing a lot with Moses right now. And Moses was the most revered person in the Hebrew tradition because of what he did, what God allowed him to do, you know, what God gave him the power to do. And because he was the law bringer, he was the one that God gave the law to up on the mountain. However, as we discussed, Moses is just a servant. Just as you and I are servants. So Moses, while being revered, is no different from you or I. We're all servants of God. And everything that Moses did, everything that we have in God's word, was for one principal chief end, and that was to point people to the coming Messiah. And as we've been reading through the Bible, we see how the people were united under Moses. They would listen to Moses. Moses would hear their disputes. Moses would talk to God and share with them what God had to say. But we, as followers of one superior to Moses, must be united with him. We need to be united with him individually and as his body, the church. Chapter 4 addressed the rest and the perils of drifting away from unity. And the author uses the Exodus and the time of Joshua to remind the people of their need to rest in God. And as we discuss, this rest isn't just the final rest. It isn't what happens one day when we die or Christ comes back. It is an experience of that we get to have each and every single moment of each and every single day as we are united together in God through his Holy Spirit. See, Jesus didn't die just so we can spend eternity with him. He gave his life so that we can live for him today, so that we can live his life in us So that he can live his life through us. So that we can die to ourselves. We can take up our cross and die daily. Seeking to put aside those sinful desires to be united with one who is holy. And to seek to glorify him. And that is only possible when we are truly united with him. Next, we talked about how Christ is superior to the priesthood. See, no longer do we have to offer sacrifices to God for the forgiveness of our sin. Now, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can rest in that perfection and completion of our salvation. We rest in our unity in Jesus Christ in what he accomplished for us. We don't rest in anything that we did. We don't rest in anything we are currently doing. We don't rest in anything that we will do. We rest in what he did perfectly on the cross. Chapter 6 talks about our need to grow in our relationship with him. We're talked about, if you remember, how we're supposed to be eating spiritual meat and leaving behind spiritual milk that talks about our spiritual infancy. We're called to be imitators of Christ Jesus. Not just imitators of Jesus' actions, but on his faith and his reliance on the one source, God the Father. See, throughout the scriptures, every time Jesus had a decision to be made, any time that he... want to do a miracle we always read that he would go up on the mountainside alone to pray with the father that is the faith that we are called to that reliance on God the father for everything that we do nothing apart from him but that we rest in unity in him and get our strength from him and we can truly only follow after Jesus Christ if we are united in Him and allowing Him to lead us. And finally, we talked about the high priest Melchizedek. And we learned that Jesus is superior to Melchizedek. See, Jesus is our King of peace, Jesus is our King of righteousness. Jesus no longer has to offer sacrifice because he was the final perfect sacrifice. We learn that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us even at this present moment because we have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Jesus intercedes for us, intercedes on our behalf because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. So he sits before God, interceding for you and I, interceding on those who are united with him and have been given eternal life. So that brings us to where we are today, the end of Hebrews 7 and chapter 8. So go ahead and follow along as I begin reading in uh, chapter twenty-six, verse seven, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who was made perfect forever. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the, than the old as the covenant he med, uh, mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel And after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds, I will write them on their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Mm. So what is God teaching us in these verses? Well, and following along with what I've been saying and following along with Hebrews, it really shouldn't be all that surprising. We are continuing to learn about the supremacy of Christ and our need to be united together in Christ. And as I already shared, the previous chapters talked about the supremacy of Christ to the priesthood, to Melchizedek, to Moses. I shared how before time began... God put everything under the control of Jesus Christ. And given these two reminders, it should come as no surprise that when we come into Hebrews chapter 8, we read about the supremacy of Christ to the Old Covenant. Now, the Old Covenant, which we've been reading about in our reading plans, was what God used to unite people to him. See, God provided a list of laws and commandments for the people, so that they may be set aside from the other peoples of the world and be united with him, a holy people. Now verse 13 of chapter 8 teaches us that Christ makes the old covenant obsolete. Through his sacrifice, he became the new covenant. And I reminded you earlier of what we discussed in regards to communion, and Pastor Ken shared about taking communion in an unworthy manner. And for this, the reason for this warning is because of what is said just a couple verses earlier in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, when we are told that the cup, the cup that we take is the blood of Christ, which was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And as Jesus says, this is the new and everlasting covenant which may bring about a question why did we need a new covenant verse 7 of chapter 8 says that the old covenant would have been faultless if it had been faultless there wouldn't have been need for a new one so what's that mean did God create something imperfect the answer to that question is yes and no. See, the Old Covenant was not the problem. God certainly was not the problem. See, God is holy and perfect. He's incapable of sin. The problem with the Old Covenant is us. The problem with the Old Covenant is people. You see, people were not capable of keeping the Old Covenant. They weren't capable of keeping the commands of God. And therefore, the people were not united with God because they were so focused on keeping a list of do's and don'ts. And then adding to it and judging people when they didn't keep them as good as they did. To be honest... Pastor Ken shared when we opened, it's impossible to keep those commandments. You know, made mention that the people were given laws by God so that they can be united with God. And Jewish rabbis actually gathered together a group of writings. They gathered together a writing called the Talmud which is where they laid out all of the laws that God gave Moses, beginning with the Ten Commandments and going all the way through. You know, in the Talmud, the Jewish leaders recorded everything, so they knew what not to do, what to do, how to get around it. That's true. You know, you can only go so far from your house, but if I move my coffee cup, part of my house, I can move over. Wait. Okay. Okay. So they tried to find ways to get around what God wanted to do. That wasn't the point. But in this Talmud, just looking at what God gave Moses, they came up with a list of 613 laws. Yep, 613 laws. So, for those of us who have kids, those of us who have been a kid, okay, you probably know that it's impossible as a kid or as an adult, you know, to keep six commands faithfully your entire life, let alone 613 That's pretty bad news, isn't it? There is absolutely no way to keep 613 commands. That is why the Old Covenant was faulty. Because we couldn't do it. We can't do it. It's why we needed a new covenant. And God... Before time began, Ari started laying that plan in place. You see, we needed someone to come and faithfully live out those 613 commands. But not only did we need someone to come and live out those 613 commandments faithfully, we needed someone to obey God fully and completely Not seeking after his own desires, but always seeking after the Father's. And then, to take on the role of an atoning sacrifice. To take on the role of the Passover lamb. And then, after all of that is done, to overcome Death itself, to rise from the grave, be seated at the right hand of the Father, and to serve as high priests forever. You and I can't do that. But thanks be to God that Jesus did it. Jesus did all of those things, He kept the law. He died for you, he died for me, and he didn't stay dead. He overcame death itself. He rose from the grave so that we can have new life in him. And he sits at the right hand of the Father until the day comes when there will be no more sin, there will be no more death, that everything will come and be as a footstool to the Lord God Almighty. That is good news. But not only did Jesus die for us, he invites us to die with him. You know, earlier I quoted Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we're not just invited to die to ourselves. We are invited to live in him. To live in unity with Jesus Christ through our faith in Jesus Christ. When we do that, we are united with God, as was Jesus' desire for us back in the garden, that they may be one just as you and I are one. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we seek to allow him not just to be our Savior, but our Lord, we are united with him. And we receive his spirit in us so that he can live through us. And through God's spirit in us, God is able to work in our hearts To unite us to him. For it says in Hebrews 8. And throughout the Bible. That he was going to write his laws on our heart. He is going to transform our heart of stone. To a heart of flesh. And when we are united with him. Seeking to allow his spirit to lead us. Moment by moment. Each and every single day. Then. We can show the love of Christ to those around us, and they in turn will see Christ's love through us for the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God Almighty. Hmm. Thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are superior to everything. Lord, you are superior to Moses, to Abraham. You are superior to the priests. You are superior to Melchizedek. You are superior to the old covenant. Lord, we are so grateful for that. Lord, we are grateful that you kept the commandments, that you set an example of faith and dependence on God for us to follow. Total reliance on God the Father for everything that we do. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for overcoming sin and death so that we, through our faith in you, can be united together with you in eternal life. Here and now as your spirit moves in us moment by moment so that people can see you through us, not for any glory of our own, but for your glory so that one day we will all join our voices saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Lord, may you be glorified in all we do. You know friends maybe some here today who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ never been united with him in his death burial and resurrection maybe there's some here today who want to be part of that faith family they want to be part of that unity that locking of arms as we seek to walk together glorifying Christ Jesus. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, I'd invite you to come. Let's talk about that. If you want to know what it means to be baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, I'd love to talk to you about that. And if you want to know what it means to be a member of a church family, a faith family that looks live life not perfectly because we're not perfect but sold out for his will and come would love to talk to you about that but let's all rise now and let's sing of his great faithfulness to